Welcome to our class called Disciples Who Make Disciples through Immersion Discipleship School. This is session one called The Call of Discipleship. Over the next several weeks, we're gonna first focus on what it means and looks like to become a disciple. And the final week in this class, we're gonna look at how to make disciples because truthfully, if we're gonna make disciples, we have to be a disciple first. And this issue of discipleship is so important. Obviously, as we read the gospels, and the ministry of Jesus, we see from scripture very, very clearly that Jesus called people to be his disciples. In fact, it was the, one of the very first things that he did when he came into his ministry was he chose 12 people who, who the Bible says he called as his disciples who would eventually become the apostles who would then go and make disciples of Jesus Christ according to his command and his commission. And what we wanna do in this class, the call of discipleship, is look at what is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? And what is the invitation of Jesus truly to become the person that he calls us to be? And we wanna do this by examining ourselves and looking at who we are and where we are and what we're called to, which is so important to this conversation. But in the ancient world, the word discipleship was widely used and recognized. Obviously, if you're looking at the New Testament, this was a Greek word for discipleship. And it was important because this was a modern equivalent of the word disciple or discipleship would be like apprentice or mentee. And you would have this mentor-mentee relationship. Often the word was used in conjunction with a father training a son in the business or the trade that the father made a living in. And so this was a word that was commonly used and it was a privilege to be a disciple. It was a privilege to be someone who was learning under another. And that gives us sort of a segue into the definition that I want to use for what a disciple is. A disciple of Jesus is a learner of the words and the ways of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again just for simplicity's sake. A, a disciple of Jesus is a learner of the ways and the words of Jesus Christ. That's the definition that I'm going to use over the next several weeks, so you want to get familiar with that. It's very um, important. And as I've said, in the ancient world, there were disciples, not just in Christianity, but there were many mentors and mentees of all kinds of religions or philosophies. You have, for example, there were Greeks and they were disciples of philosophy. The Pharisees were disciples of procedure, their interpretations of the law. The Zealots were disciples of protest. They wanted to bring down the Roman government um, through any means necessary, including violence. But Christians were and are disciples of the person and the ways of Jesus. And we want to be a committed disciple, somebody that doesn't just say it with our words, but somebody that lives it with our life. Uh, in Jesus's time, you would almost always follow the family in trade. And so this was sort of a normal thing in their culture. And maybe we've grown apart from this idea that we would actually come under another. When we read the Bible, we know that we're reading it in an ancient time. It has an ancient context. And so the timeless principles that we extrapolate out of that context, which are true for us today, sometimes we don't have the same context or we've grown in an individualistic society, and that, that is true of the generation that I'm a part of, it's very individualistic, and so we don't often want to come under another person long enough to learn their ways and to learn their words, and so it might seem a little bit odd when we come to this conversation about what is it to be a disciple, and what does it look like, and what does it cost, what's the commitment, what's the invitation. When you think about all of that, maybe our context doesn't allow our mindset to really sink in 
and consider deeply how this would look and what this means. So this conversation becomes more important because we have to like set up our, our own context based on the value of Scripture, what Scripture calls us to, we want to make sure that we go after, we pursue, even if it's not normal to the culture that we're a part of, or the church, or the church culture that we're used to. And even so, we want to still pursue what Scripture teaches above maybe what we've experienced. But when a rabbi would call someone to be their disciple, it was considered a privilege. That's why you see that Jesus called his disciples um, prior to them being disciples, they, he called people into discipleship to being their, his mentee and, and being a mentor to them. And they considered that a privilege. It was a, it was a radical invitation. And real quickly, I want to look at and understand the invitation of discipleship because you read several different moments where Jesus invited people and called them to follow him. It's what I'm calling the invitation of discipleship. The first one that I want to refer to is Simon and Andrew in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. This is what the Bible says. It says, as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he being Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Another invitation that we see that he gave was to James and John in Mark chapter 1 verse 19, which just follows what we read. And it says this, verse 19, going on a little farther, he being Jesus saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and they went away to follow him. Jesus calls them right there and they get up out of their boats and they walk after Jesus. This is, this is pretty amazing if you ask me. It's, it's humble, it's, it's, um, it's radical, it's immediate, it's obedient. We see this response and we have to pause and consider our life as Jesus calls us into discipleship. This is the invitation that he gave personally. We also see this in the person of Matthew, which is Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew, and sitting in his tax collector's booth, he said to him, follow me. And the man got up and followed him. He followed Jesus. And you see that this is a reoccurring pattern. Jesus gives the invitation, and they right then, right there, with immediacy, get up and go after Jesus. We see something a little bit different in the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, 16 through 22. Here's what it says. And someone came to him and they said, teacher, what good thing shall I do to obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wished to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. And here we have this example of where Jesus gave the invitation, but the response is not anywhere close to what we read about in Matthew and James and John and Simon and Andrew. It wasn't even close to the same. And so you kind of look at that and you go, wow, what's the difference between this guy 
and those that previously heard the same invitation and followed him. Why did he walk away sad and the others walk away with or walk toward him with great expectation? You see one, several walk toward Jesus and follow him and this one walks away from Jesus even though Jesus said do this and come and follow me. And you have another um, another moment in Scripture in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, where these are unnamed people that Jesus gave the same invitation to. But nonetheless, verse 57 says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, this is incredible. Here we have a couple back and forth moments where Jesus gives this invitation of discipleship. We see multiple responses, but from all of these passages where we see Jesus giving this invitation, I want to draw some points out of observation that I think will help us. And the first one is the invitation of discipleship offers a close relationship with God. The people that Jesus called to follow him were being offered relationship. If you were a rabbi, and you were offering to, for someone to become your disciple, you're inviting them into the inner circle. You're saying, come, with, come to be with me, walk with me, go where I go, do what I do, hear from me on an intimate and personal level. And so the first thing that this invitation offers both to them and to us is a close and personal relationship with God or with Jesus where we get to be with Jesus. And there's nothing greater than being with Jesus at the onset of our discipleship and what discipleship even means. It means that we learn from and become like the one that we're closely related to. And this is Jesus Christ. Before we ever consider what we're letting go of, we need to see what we're actually gaining in this close relationship with Him. The second point that I want to make is the invitation of discipleship demands a clear response. I used to think that the response of Andrew and Simon and James and John and Matthew was a radical one because Jesus says, come follow me. They get up and they follow him. Now, I've never done that to somebody before, just walked up to a person and said, hey, come and follow me. It seems it seems kind of abrupt, it seems odd, but Jesus does this. And I used to think that's such a radical response, but what I've learned is that that's not just a radical response, it's a radical invitation. And they understood the radical invitation because a radical invitation necessitates a radical response. And so their response was in like kind of what they knew that they were being offered. And that's my question for us is do we know what we're really being offered in Jesus Christ? What he's offering us, what he's giving to us, what he's inviting us into is so far beyond what anybody else could offer us that it only necessitates a radical response. That is the like kind response from this wonderful and glorious invitation. Jesus invites all these others to follow him and their response is varied. In fact, you look at the rich young ruler and he walks away sad. 
Jesus told him, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And Jesus has nothing against us having things or material possessions or nice things for that matter. But this man had an attachment in his heart to something that would probably, over the period of his life with Jesus, it would be a constant negotiation. It would be a point of compromise. It would be a place where his heart has affections for something instead of someone. And Jesus looked into his heart and he saw that and he said, go get rid of that, turn from that so that you can really truly turn toward me. The invitation of discipleship toward this rich young ruler was no different than anyone else. It was that Jesus saw because of what this guy was asking that he would actually need to give this up first. He wasn't thinking about that. This man came wanting to be affirmed. Look how good I am. Look what I'm doing and look how I'm keeping myself, my reputation, what other people see about me, what other people know about me. This man was looking for Jesus to affirm who he was and where he was rather than to really hear the words of Jesus and what he wanted him to do, what he needed to do in order to follow him the way that was, uh, was necessary. And so we can't negotiate the terms, we can't change the invitation. The only thing that we get to do is respond, and the invitation of discipleship demands our response. We can't put it off for another day. We need to come to Christ, and we need to respond to the invitation that He's given to us, which is to give our lives to Him, which is to give ourselves to Him, to give our time, our energy, our finance, all of that is to Him, because He's the one that's inviting us into this kind of relationship. We can't walk away sad thinking that for some reason we're missing something, or we're going to be left out on the pleasures and enjoyments of this life. We're not the divine exchange that he's invited us into is only better for us. I mean, we're the ones that get the benefit and not him per se. It's us. We're the ones that get life and joy and peace and love and all that relationship with God truly brings. And we should want nothing else but what he's offering. But sometimes our eyes are, are, are looking at other things or our mind is deceived thinking that we're going to miss out on other things. It's just deception and it's a lie and we need to be reminded of that. The third point that I want to make from these invitations that we see that Jesus gave is the invitation of discipleship defines a new identity for each of us. Hearing and heeding the call of discipleship brings about a new identity. It rebrands us, it renews us, it restores us, it transforms us into being the people that we were actually created to be. We're not leaving behind the good stuff and, and sort of taking on this somber life. We're actually becoming a new person in Christ. The old things have passed away and behold, all things are new. We were created to be like God, to be with God and to walk with Him. And this is our opportunity to do just that. The term follow me is not random. Uh, it's go where I go. It's do what I do. It's learn from me and be as I am. Jesus is inviting us into a total transformation process and this is what we truly were created for. This is why Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything that he had because he needed to become a new person. He needed to not be known for and known by and think of himself the way that he was. He needs to be rebranded. He needed to be renewed, so Jesus said this is what needs to happen in order for you to fully obtain what I'm actually inviting you into. And so while it sounded like a hard word to the rich young ruler, it was actually in his best interest. The word of obedience, 
that God gives to us, that Jesus issues to us, is actually always in our best interest. When we obey him, we do it because we love him. But when you love someone and you obey them, you do that because you trust them. You trust that, that they have their best, your best interest in mind. And we certainly believe that Jesus always does. But you cannot follow Jesus out of obligation. You have to follow him out of invitation. Obligation means that you have to. Invitation means that you get to. And what we want to do is we want to cultivate the kind of mindset to see the beauty of Jesus and what he's offering us in this discipleship relationship. We want to cultivate that so that we never, ever walk out some kind of obligatory relationship. I have to read the Bible. I have to pray. I have to share the gospel. I have to do this and I have to do that. No, you don't have to. None of us have to. It's an invitation to become like who we were created to be. And Jesus is the only one that's going to invite us into that life. And you don't have to, but you get to. So cultivating our mind and our heart in the place of privilege, in the place of thankfulness and gratitude is what keeps us going. It sustains us through the ups and the downs, the victories and the defeats. We want Jesus to continue to keep our mind and heart fixed and focused on the main thing. Jesus came to bring eternal life and then call us to use this life for others. And discipleship ultimately with him brings us into a place where we can help other people connect with the same thing because that is our new identity and everybody gets invited into that, especially as God transforms us. Now I wanna look also not only at the invitation of discipleship, but I wanna look at the cost of discipleship because Jesus says something very interesting in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. And I wanna read this and get a, get a bigger, a better grasp on what we've been called into and what that's gonna cost us as we look at this together. Verse 25 says this, now large crowds were, were going along with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And Jesus says some very provocative things in this passage of Scripture, and we don't want to skip over them because it's these kinds of moments in the Gospels where Jesus is talking to people and he says something very pointed, he says something very sharp, it seems like a hard word. Those are the things that we wanna understand the most because when they seem to have a conflict with how we see Jesus, we know that there's something packed in there for us if we would simply seek to understand it. The crowds came and they wanted to be around him and they wanted to see him, but did they wanna follow him? And this is what he's confronting. And I think this is something that we see today that people wanna be around Jesus, 
They want to be benefited by him. They want all of the benefits without the relationship. They don't want to necessarily follow him. People, I think, follow happiness rather than following Jesus. They want good in life. They want good from God, but they don't necessarily understand that the way we're defining good or the way we're defining happiness is not based on truth. And Jesus is the only one offering us legitimate, true, substance-filled, substantial uh, happiness in life because we can only find true happiness and satisfaction in following Him and becoming His disciple. But Jesus obviously knows how to clear a crowd, and we see, it seems that what he offers to them is somewhat opposite to what we think he should say. He, he says, if you desire to come after me, you must first hate your mother and your father, and he says all of these things. But what he's really getting at is, I want you to sit down, and I want you to calculate the cost. I want you to realize that this just isn't about you, that this is something bigger than yourself. And you have to deny yourself to even obtain it, to grasp it, to grab a hold of it. You have to be able to let go of just this individualistic mentality. And so he kind of clears the playing field and gives some pretty hardcore truth that they're going to need to accept that we want to obviously understand. But I wrote some points just to consider based on observation of what we just read. And here's the first one, the cost of discipleship means that Jesus always comes before other people. And this is what he says. He says, you need to hate your father, mother, wife, children, and you cannot be my disciple. Our relationship with Jesus must come first. This is really the crux of the point. It wasn't about hatred towards others. It was about them being second. It was about them being, him being first and them being second. And so if we're going to become a disciple of Jesus, the cost is going to be that he always comes first. And up front, we need to know that. We need to realize that you can't have the priorities of everyone else, that he is ultimately the priority. And this is going to bring conflict as we live life. It's going to bring tension. But we always have to put him first. And he tells us up front as a disciple that this is what this requires and literally tells them that if you do not do this, you cannot be my disciple. And what does that really mean? He's saying like, you really won't follow me. If you don't put me first, then I'm not going to be the one you're following because you're going to follow someone or something else. And so whether that's your father or your mother or family traditions or this is what we always do or I could never move away from my family because what would they think of me? And you could go on and on and on about the reality and the expectations of family and friends that will be placed on us for all of the years that we will be alive. You're going to have lots of expectations from family. You're going to have lots of voices speaking in about what you should do and what you shouldn't do and where you should go and how life should really look for you. And you need to put Jesus's voice first, Jesus's will first, Jesus's kingdom first. And all these other voices might be well-meaning and well-intentioned, but if you haven't pre-decided that his voice is above all of them, then you might negotiate in a moment where you need to follow. And this is so important. It's why he brings it up. And he even says at the end, to, to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, to those who have ears to hear this, not everyone can hear this. Some people just want what they want in life. They don't want to be a follower of Jesus. And so we want to make sure that we calibrate our hearts and our thinking based on the cost that Jesus tells us discipleship will bring. The second point is the cost of discipleship means that Jesus always comes before ourselves. Point number one was Jesus 
always comes before others. But point number two is Jesus always comes before ourselves. And this is the paradoxical invitation that we read about in the Gospels. It's winning by losing. It's gaining by giving. It's leading by serving. It's, it's the upside-down kingdom. He's saying, if you put me first in, or in Matthew 6.33, I will take care of everything you will ever need. This is the truth of Scripture. You put me first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be taken care of. He's saying, if you put me first, I got you. On everything that you will ever need, I got you. And this is what he tells the disciples in this moment. Following Jesus means you first deny yourself, which literally means to dethrone self. If we're going to deny ourselves, we have to get off the throne of our life so that Jesus can sit on the throne of our life and tell us what life's about and tell us what we need to do and where we need to go and how it needs to look. It means we lay down our rights. And so if somebody wounds us or somebody harms us or somebody does something to us and he says forgive, we've laid down our rights. Whatever he says is what we do. Whatever he wants is what we do. And this is where carrying the cross and carrying the cross daily, it's a sacrifice. It's death to self. It's death to self-life. It's for the resurrection of Christ and his life and his words and his ways to flow through us. If that's going to happen, it's going to be because we make the sacrifice of carrying our cross, which is to do the will of God. Whatever he says to do, whatever he calls us to do is most important for us. And he is saying this to them or to them and to us because he's our pattern. He's the one that we're following. He's saying, give yourself for other people, carry the cross, deny yourself. This is a call to sacrifice and sacrifice always brings life to the world around us. And we need to know that. We need to say no to self and no to safety and the exchange our crown for a cross. This is the call is the cost of discipleship means that Jesus is first before others and Jesus is first before ourselves. And we also want to look at real briefly the commitment to discipleship. We've looked at the invitation, we've looked at the cost, but we also finally want to look at the commitment to discipleship. As we look at these things, we see that commitment is a pledge and a promise, an obligation, an engagement, the state of being bound emotionally and intellectually, really and just holistically to a course of action uh, or a person or persons. And obviously, in this sense, we're talking about binding ourselves in a committed relationship to learn from Jesus in all of life. This is a holistic commitment. And that means that we're not fair-weathered people, whether it goes our way, whatever that would mean or not, we commit ourselves to Jesus and the way of discipleship. Through the ups and the downs and the lefts and the rights, we are always and forever going to follow him because we realize that his way is the only way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I'm the way. I am the way. This is Jesus' words to us. I am the way. And this is important to us as Christians. There is no other way. There is no other road. There is no other path. It is the narrow path that leads to life. It is his way. And so our commitment to Jesus through all that life will bring is to say that we forsake all others. It's like when a, when a couple is getting married and they're making vows. They say for, whether we're sick or we're poor, rich or, or, or sorry, rich or poor, sick or healthy, till death do us part. And this is the commitment that we need to make in covenant with Jesus. And discipleship is going to bring about a lot of twists and turns. It's going to be, we're not going to be able to see, have foresight into the things that we'll be called to do. We know that the Word of God is our standard. It's what helps us understand what 
a lot of this will look like. It will frame up how we need to respond and how God is and who God is and what Jesus is like so that we can live out a life of discipleship, but we don't know the context of that life. And that will be the twists and the turns that will come. But either way, no matter how life is or where God calls us, we are 100% committed through it all and in it all. And we know that that's not a normal thing for us is that we see the commitment's a massive issue in our culture, in our generation. If people don't stay committed to much of anything, it seems that even whether it's church or it's jobs or it's college or whatever it might be, that commitment can become a very huge issue. It's a very serious thing. And we want to be people that understand that if we're committed to anything, it's Him first. That's the whole purpose of seeking Him first and that He'll take care of us. It's that we're not deceived in how this really works. That if we put Him first, we seek Him first, we make the commitment to him and we keep that commitment and he will help us through the Holy Spirit to maintain and sustain that commitment. We know that he'll take care of us through all of life. Your commitment will always be tested by the opportunities and the difficulties that arise, but God will help us. In the Gospels, you find moments where people deserted Jesus. There were times where many who were following him that wanted the food or they wanted the miracles and whatever they thought or whatever they came for didn't happen the way that they wanted it to, they turned around and walked away. And there was one point, I think it's John chapter 5, or maybe later on in the book of John, where Jesus looks at his disciples as people are walking away from him. And he says, are you two going to walk away and desert me? And, he's, and Peter says to him, you have the words of life. Where are we going to go? And that's our response. That's the commitment of a disciple, is to say, no, you've invited me into this relationship I understand that this is a radical invitation and I've considered the cost. This is worth every last bit of my life and I am staying the commitment no matter what happens because I know that this is the best life that I could possibly have no matter what it looks like on the outside. I have joy, peace, and satisfaction on the inside. And that's what a committed believer will experience because they're not looking for a better opportunity. We're not opportunistic. We're not looking for the better thing. We're not looking for the better opportunity. We are simply keeping our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus and wherever He would lead us. We're committing to the mission of Jesus and His life which will bring about this death that we talked about, carry the cross, death to self, but life to so many others. And John 21, 18 through 19 actually says something that I think is really important when we look at the commitment to discipleship. This is what it says. I tell you the truth, Jesus speaking, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And what I'm saying by this is that Jesus was telling Peter, I believe in this passage, uh, that when he, got, when he would get older, that life would be such that he would lead, he would follow Jesus even into death. And this is important because if discipleship leads us into martyrdom, that we stay committed no matter what. I, I want to share it with you that way because I feel like sometimes we act like discipleship is just going to be exciting and, and there's going to be no cost to it, that, that the commitment's not going to press us and squeeze us and, and draw out of us this intense need and desperation for God to help us 
to maintain this commitment. No, no, actually quite the opposite. If we've really followed Jesus, it might lead us into martyrdom. There are some of us that watch this. There are some of us that will follow Christ, that will give their entire life physically speaking. And the only way that you'll give your life physically is if you've already done that spiritually. If you've already laid down your life and said, your li my life is yours, and that's my commitment to you. If you've done that, it's nothing to give your life physically if that's what it demands. If he calls you to another country, another place, another people, the land of your anointing might lead you into physical death. That's the commitment that we make. It's till death do us part. This is the commitment. Whether we're rich or we're poor, we're sick or we're in health, till death do us part. The commitment to discipleship is to become like the one that we're following, but it's to follow him and to follow him wherever he would lead us. Now remember, the call of discipleship is a radical invitation. There's a cost that's attached to it, but we are committed in it all, through it all, to Jesus Christ and him alone. As I conclude, I want to just say this to you that you, that you would hear the call of discipleship. He said, to, to those who have ears to hear, are we hearing the call of discipleship? Jesus wants to use us in power for his glory, for his kingdom, but we've got to, we've got to hear the call of discipleship and heed the call of discipleship. And I want you to pray about this. I want you to consider this. I want you to evaluate yourself. Am I a disciple of Jesus? I'm not asking you if you're a believer in Jesus. I'm asking you if you're a disciple of Jesus. Are you a committed learner to the words and ways of Jesus unto life where you're doing what Jesus is teaching you to do? In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, we call that the Great Commission. Jesus tells his disciples when he tells them to go make disciples, he says one thing, teach them to obey what I commanded you. If for a disciple to teach another disciple to obey what Jesus says, they too have to be in obedience to Jesus. I'm asking you to evaluate your life. Are you obeying Jesus? Jesus said in John 14, those who love me will obey what I command. What I wanna do now is I wanna pray for our hearts. I wanna pray for our homes, that we wouldn't just be people that say we're Christians, but we would be people that definitively say with a stake in the ground that we are devoted disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. And that means whatever he wants us to do, we do. Wherever he wants us to go, we go. Whatever he has for our life that brings him glory, that is our life. So I wanna pray for us that God would help us to become that or continue to be that in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for everyone watching this or participating in this class. I pray, God, that you would help us to evaluate our hearts, to evaluate our lives, and to see whether we are people that can say definitively that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that everybody probably watching this or most people watching this has given their life to you and they've said yes, that they believe that you died, you rose again for the forgiveness of sins. But I pray, God, that we wouldn't stop there, but we would follow you into the waters of discipleship. And whatever that means, God, I pray we would say yes to it the entire time. And thank you for the radical invitation We've considered the cost and we're making the commitment. I pray God for every person watching this, would you bless, strengthen, and help them to follow you no matter what. We're grateful for your invitation in our life and we hear the call to discipleship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you guys. I look forward to our discipleship class together. Yeah,